0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracetysd.com.
1: For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let's pray together. Father, um, we come before you as a church or your church, the members of this church, Lord, and for those that are still seeking, for those that are still waiting, for those that are still uh, hungry, And thirsty for your word. Lord, I pray uh, that you come and dwell among us. I pray the Holy Spirit be with Randall. I pray that he preaches the gospel, the fullness of the gospel, so that our hearts are wrestled, our ears are opened, our hearts are ready. Lord, I pray that you continue to be with us. You continue to work in us and through us for your grace is sufficient for us. Lord, we lift this up to you the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said,
0: amen. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. Just as Ryan said, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Romans chapter 7. Uh, If you're new this morning, welcome. My name is Randall. Um, I'm the pastor of Grace City. And, uh, you know, last week we were able to celebrate three years. And it was just an exciting time to get together and celebrate all that God has done. And I'm telling you, I am immensely humbled by all the work that God has done in our community and just in our church body here. And so um, glad you're here with us this morning. so we're in this new series called The Struggle Is Real, and I, and I feel like it, it's timely. This is a timely series to go through, through this because it seems like as life at the end of the year goes, it's usually uh, gets more and more stressful and anxious uh, because now it's October, but very soon it's going to be December. I don't know if you've seen this, but you go into stores and there's already Christmas stuff out. As if we, you know, like weren't like in October right now, but really like if we were in November, December, like we haven't even gotten to that place yet, but there's already these feelings of anxiousness and anxiety that's coming on us because we're feeling unprepared. And so we're going through this series, The Struggle is Real, and um, it's really based out of uh, the scriptures uh, that come from Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Um, and so here's what it says in Ephesians two one through three it says, "And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so you're like, okay what what?" what Why are you reading this Ephesians 2 passage? It's because this, we're going through this series and I'm going to be going through different scriptures. Usually we go through a book of the Bible. We're going through different scriptures and all of this series is anchored in the Bible. And you're thinking, okay, well, what is my struggle today? What are we we talking about? Well, there are three that come from Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul names it here. He says, the course of this world. You're gonna get pulled in and tempted by the things in this world. And so you're like, what, what am I struggling with? Why am I struggling so badly? There's temptations from the world that are just gonna try and pull you in. He also says the power of the prince of the air. There is a supernatural element to your temptations that you face. Now, I know that's kind of weird in our, in our world. You're like, well, we don't really believe in the devil or demons or any of those types of things. We don't really talk about that much. But the Bible does. And so we're going to talk about that in this series and just how that plays into it. But I also want you to know, you know, there's some people who are like, man, the devil just made me do it. He made me do everything. Everything bad is because of the devil. But the, the Bible doesn't tell us that. It tells us that you and I will struggle with the very thing that we're going to talk about today. And it's this, it's the flesh. It's the flesh. And so the apostle Paul is struggling with his flesh in Romans 7, 14 through 25. That's the scripture we're going to talk about today. And, and so we're, we're really honing in on this one particular thing, our inward struggle. Our inward struggle. And so I hope at the end of the series, you're going to understand why you struggle a lot better because of what the Bible tells us. So our inward struggle. Um, I was driving in my minivan this week. I've got three kids and I was uh, picked up my son, Kai, a little bit early from school because um, he had to go to an appointment. So uh, we're driving in the car and he's telling me about his day at school. And he's telling me um, about on the soccer field, how everyone is cheating him, how um, teachers don't even see that he's playing by the rules and everybody else is not. And he's feeling bullied. And people are trying to trip him and all these other things. And he's just really struggling. And I start to ask him some questions, some probing questions. I was like, well, okay, like, let's talk through this. And so I start to ask him questions about how are people bullying you? Well, you know, they're just, you know, not passing me the ball and different things like that. (laughs) Okay, so um, let's talk through some of the cheating stuff like, so you're, you're being cheat like somebody, like they're cheating in the game? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're, you know, again, the, I'm trying to score and then the guy takes the ball from me. Okay, they're cheating. And so as I start to hone in here and talk through some of the, the ways in which he's struggling in that moment, I'm realizing that the, the things that he's struggling with were not outside of him. They were inside of him. And so I told him, son, you think the biggest problem is outside of you, but it's inside of you. You know, that, that's the thing that he was, and then I, and I thought to myself, man, that's good. I'm gonna write that down real quick. <laughs> you think the biggest problem is outside of you. It is inside of you. You see, you see, for many of us, this is, our biggest struggle. We, we think that it's our circumstances. We think that it's other people, our job, all of these external things. But the Apostle Paul points out that all of us have this very deep struggle that we can often overlook. We can offer oh, overlook and think that it's something else or somebody else, but he says, look inside. The problem is not out here, it's in here. And what he says is that we can't resolve that very problem. You know, in 2007, philosophy professor at San Francisco State University, Jacob Needleman wrote a book entitled this, Why Can't We Be Good? Why Can't We Be Good? And here's his synopsis of this book that he writes. Secular writer, he's not a Christian writer, but here's what he says. He says, the ultimate question of human nature why do we repeatedly violate our most deeply held values and beliefs? For all our therapies, resolutions, self-help programs, and the vast religious and ethical literature available to men and women today, we return again and again to the same limiting and predictable behaviors vowing to do better next time. Vowing to do better next time. Now this book, when it came out, it got mixed reviews because we live in a culture that loves to say, I can do it. It loves to say, well, there's gotta be a Ted talk about that. But Needleman, a Harvard and Yale grad, after years of research concluded that within all human beings, we do have an inward struggle that we are unable to cure. And so how does God's word address this very problem? Again, our text today is Romans 7, 14 through 25. And the apostle Paul is writing to the, the church that was formed in Rome, but it wasn't started by him. And so the city of Rome at this time is estimated of over a million people, big, big city of people. And so it's a mixture of Jewish and now Gentile believers that are coming together. And the way I describe Romans is like, if, you know, many of us would say like, we, 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 if you have dots, you can connect the dots. But, but the Roman church in many ways, it, it's as if they were starting and, and the apostle Paul is like, if you were starting with no dots, I'm going to put the dots there for you so that you can connect the dots and understand what the gospel is. He is walking through and saying, this is Christianity. And it's an amazing book. And so the first 10 chapters, he is just connecting. He's putting the dots in place and he's saying, okay, the last part, I'm going to connect them all for you. And here's the book of Romans. And he is talking in Romans chapter 7 in a way where people should be able to relate. We should be able to relate to Romans chapter seven because the, the things he's talking about here are very real. It's what Jacob Needleman is talking about. Why can't we be good? Why can't we do it? And so there are three lessons on why we struggle within this text. And, and really he gives us hope at the end. And so I wanna walk through this text together and give you three points as we walk through it. So the, the first point is the gap between. The second point is the enemy within. And the third is the already not yet. The gap between the enemy within, the already not yet. And so we're gonna look, starting in verses 14 through 16, the gap between. Let's see what it says. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do this very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So let's start in verse 14. Here's what it says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. So the first part of verse 14, Paul says, calls the law of God spiritual. He's saying that God has set this order into the universe. He set good and right and just into the universe. He set it in place. And that's what's called the law. And so this is the the goodness of, of what God created in his order. In its purest sense, God created things to be good and he ordained them to be good. You know, there's this old book, early 19, uh, 1900s, uh, written by uh, Franz Kafka. It's called The Trial. And the, the main character, Joseph Kah, he wakes up one morning to two policemen in his room And they said, we are here to arrest you. And so he gets into this argument with the two policemen and he says, why are you arresting me? What have I done? And they look at him and they say, well, you know what you've done. And so you are being arrested and we've set a date for your trial. And so this book is all about how He is being arrested, but not knowing why. He doesn't know what what for. There's a part in the book which is really strange. They say, well, he's talking about his work. Say, well, you can go to work. You can go live and do your normal life, but you're under arrest. It's like, well, what What does this even mean? And so by the end, he's put on trial. And again, he does throughout the book, you don't know why he's put on trial. He's saying to himself, what, what law did I break? And so I want you to know today, that's not how the God of the Bible is. He doesn't just come into our room and and, and wake us up one morning and say, Well, you're under arrest. For what? You're going on trial for what? No. See, many of us today we say we struggle because we hear the word law and we say, law, God's law. I've never read the Bible before. I don't know God's law. But again, connecting the dots all the way back from Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that God is not just this invisible authority that breaks into our room and says you're on trial. But he says he's made it clear what he demands. He's made it clear what he demands. Back in Romans chapter one, verses 20 through 21, he says this, it says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, there is something within all of us where we say there, there has to be a God and there's there is some level of I know what is right and what is wrong. We don't know it in its fullness and all of those things, but even Francis Schaeffer once said if we just were judged based on the things that we said you ought to do, ought to do, right? Like if if we were, if we had this recorder on us that said, you ought, all the things that we said, this is what you ought to do. This is the kind of person you ought to be. And we were judged just based off of that. We would say, I have not lived up to even what I thought we ought to do. Right, it's the struggle. Why can't I be good? Why why do I have these struggles within? The Apostle Paul says this, he says, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. See, this is the reality that as we look at our world, we say it's not as it should be. It's not as it should be. And it's because in Genesis chapter three, Sin broke into the world. It broke into the world, and it broke into our lives, and it broke into our hearts, and it broke into who we become. People that are just struggling with sin again and again. See, what Paul's doing is here, he's making a huge distinction. See, there is a huge gap between God and us. See, God is always right in his ways. He's always right in what he does. God doesn't have a book written for him that says, why don't I do good? Like that, that's not him, that's us. God's right all the time. And so there's this huge gap between us and God. And it's something that we can't atone or bridge. And Paul is wanting us to feel the weight because he feels the weight of that. See, for some of us today, when we hear the word sin, we cringe. We may think, well, that's just too hard, harsh of a word. You know, I know I make mistakes and all, but sin, nah, I'm not a sinner. Addressing this topic, Carl Menninger, again, a non-Christian American psychiatrist, in 1973 said, wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. And here's what he says. He says, is no one any longer guilty of anything? Guilty perhaps of a sin that could be repented of or atoned for? Anxiety and depression we all acknowledge and even vague guilt feelings. But has no one committed any sins? Where indeed did sin go? What became of it? I believe there is sin which is expressed in ways which cannot be subsumed under verbal artifacts such as crime, disease, delinquency, deviancy, There is immorality, there is unethical behavior, there is wrongdoing, and I hope to show that there is usefulness in retaining the concept, indeed, the word sin. That's from, again, a secular writer. The Bible does not mince words with us, but tells us our true problem, our true struggle, deep within us is this problem of sin. It's sin, and it reinforces this gap between us and God. You're like, aren't I glad I came to church today? Like, okay, great. It's not the end of the message. There's hope here, okay? So secondly, Paul addresses, number two, the enemy within. But we gotta understand like what we're going up against here. The enemy within. So look at verses 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Then down to verse 22 and 23. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul now talks about this war that is raging within him. It is a war going on. Look at verse 18, he says, for I have the desire to do what's right. But then he says, but not the ability to carry it out. Like, I want to do this. I want to be this. I, I, I'm trying. But he says, I do not have the ability to carry it out. To have that consistency. See, there is a desire, but an inability. Here's what it boils down to. You and I have a monster that lives within us and it's too strong to overcome. I think that's why in many ways, the story of Jekyll and Hyde really helps us to uh, understand what we feel like at times. See, whether Christian or not today, all of us, if we're honest, have had moments that have scared us, moments where we thought to ourselves, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I never thought I was capable of that. I think it's fitting in the month of October. Wes Craven says, the first monster you have to scare the audience with is yourself. There has to be moments where we think to ourselves, why did I do that? Why did I say that? And we we use excuses like, well, that's not really me. That's not the real me. But then who was it? Right, like who was it? In many ways, we try to use that same tactic like my son was using. It's just the things that are outside of me. It's not really me. No, it is. It is us. And it's scary to face. On this verse, commentator Douglas Moo writes, he says, uh, Paul, his point is that the Jew under the law And by expression, other non Christians do have a genuine striving after the right as defined by God. But this striving after the right, because of the unbroken power of sin, can never so take over the mind and will that it can effectively and consistently direct the body to do what is good. He's saying there's a power too strong for you and I to break, it's too much, it's too heavy. And like I said, again, we love motivational speeches. But that's not what Paul's doing here. He's not trying to pump you up to say, hey, go out there and be stronger and do better. Here's what he's saying. In conclusion, you can't do it. Not a great motivational speech, right? Paul's doing what any good gospel preacher would do. He's saying within your own strength, you can do nothing. You can't. But lastly, the good news. Paul gives us our lasting hope. Despite times we may feel hopeless, here's what it is. Here's our hope today. It's this. There's the already, not yet. There's the already, not yet. In verses 24 through 25. Here's what he says. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Here's what's happening. Paul gives us this amazing clarity about our situation. An amazing clarity about our situation. Here's what, here's what it is. He's saying, Jesus has won the war. Jesus has won the war. Like, when Jesus was on the cross and he declared from the cross, his very last words were, it is finished. He is saying, the war is done. Jesus is victorious. Anyone who comes under the banner of Jesus and says, I need Jesus, you receive his victory. It covers you. That's why throughout the Bible, it says because of Jesus, we are made righteous. You are made right with God, not by asking the question, why am I not good enough and trying harder? You are made right with God by coming under the banner of Jesus and saying, he lived rightly and did everything right and did all the things that I couldn't have done. And so it is him that covers me. See, how could the Apostle Paul say something as crazy as, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is a person who said that he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. And if, if he were being judged based on all of his works, all of his goodness, all of the things that he had done, no one would surpass Paul. Paul. But yet he is looking back at his past and seeing it very clearly and saying that all of my works, all the things that I've done are but filthy rags before a holy God. So much so that he said, what a wretched man. What a wretched, what a wretched person. who will deliver me from this body of death. He's not saying, hey, I'm just gonna get my life together and clean my life up. But he says, I am so in need that I'm need, in need of a savior. I need somebody to save me from the wretchedness of myself. And then he gives the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You wanna know where salvation is found? The Apostle Paul said the only solution to his sin is Jesus Christ is Lord. See, Paul sees two parts here to the already. Like as you come under the banner of Jesus, say, Jesus, I believe in you, I trust in you, I need you in my life. There is a banner of Christ that comes over your life. And now he is able to acknowledge his struggle and inability. No longer is he faking it, saying, hey, this is what I am. This is who I am. Look at all the works that cover me. Look at all the things that that make me valuable, worthwhile. He's not covering himself any longer. But saying, I can be honest with who I am. I can be honest with my struggle. I can be honest with my temptation. And not cover up any longer. And then he can point to his only hope and saying, Jesus Christ is my only hope to win the war on this person, this, this person that I am. It's Christ alone. See, do you see the already nature of the gospel? Do you see the, the finished work of Jesus for you? Do you see that your hope To win the war over the struggle that you face every day has already been won at the cross. John Newton uh, wrote to a man who was discouraged because he couldn't get past his sin. And so here's what he writes to him. He says, you say you find it hard to believe it is compatible with the divine purity to embrace or implore such a monster as yourself. Then he says, we have little to rejoice in ourselves, but we have right and reason to rejoice in him. You want to know where your rejoicing comes? You want to know where your joy comes? It's not by looking at yourself saying, oh man, how did I do this week? Right? And putting our, our, our name up and saying, let me put a couple stars here and there next to my name, but it's saying, where do I rejoice? It's finding that Jesus is worth rejoicing in because he covers me, he saved me, he loves me, he cares for me. If you embrace Christ today and you embrace and say, I am a Christian today, you have an amazing reason to rejoice because of what Jesus has done for you. But I love, this is what I love about the Bible, it's not unrealistic either. Because right after that, Paul says the not yet part of this verse, he says, yes, the war is won, but you still have a battle to fight. There still is a battle raging, even though the war has been won. This is the not yet part, he says, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. See, this is why even today, as you embrace Christ and say, I'm a Christian, you, you say, I, I, I'm definitely not even close to where I need to be. I still have a lot of work that needs to be done in, in my heart, and my life, and I see a lot of things that are not where they need to be. And here's the thing. If this is a reality for the Apostle Paul, you better believe it's a reality for Pastor Randall and anybody else in here, right? Like... Everybody else is still struggling with the battle. But God gives us everything we need to fight. Everything we need to find victory. And so I want to give you today just some quick takeaways. And here's the question. How do we overcome our inward struggle? Let me ask you three questions. Three questions. First one is this. This is a this is profound. This is gonna to lead to everything else that might be helpful for you today, but is this. Are you struggling? <laughs> really, like, are you struggling? Because if we're not struggling, then we don't realize that there's a battle. And so I want us to be aware today that for many of us, like, there is something raging within us that we have to see and we might be blinded to the truth today. And so my question is, is this a battle for you every day? And this could be a test of whether you're a Christian or not. Because you're like, well, I don't know if I've ever struggled with sin before. I don't know if I've ever struggled in my life. Like, okay, let's talk, right? Like, Let's talk, but this is is serious. Like, are you struggling? Because if you're struggling, that's a good sign. It's a good sign. It's a sign that there's something that's fighting against that thing that's in us that's that's not good. And so God wants to help us in this. And, And so first question, are you struggling? Second is, do you know how to fight? Do you know how to fight? And so let me give you two practical things. Um, First one is God's word. It is God's word. We have more Bibles accessible to us than probably any generation before us. We have it on our phone. We have paper. we, We have all of it. Like, it's all there. We have Christian bookstores, right? Like, that is like, we have access Most of us have Amazon, right? It's like, you can go on there and get a Bible. And and for us, like, there's so many different translations that can help us as well. But how did, here's what we have to, how did Jesus fight off the temptations of the devil? How did he fight those off? With the word of God. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, In the front of his Bible, right here, this is what they found written in it. Either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That was written on the inside of his Bible. This was a man that was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And he knew that he needed God's word to uphold him and sustain him. And so do we know how to fight? Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than ever, any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Like it pierces us. It comes down deep into our lives. That's why some of us right now are saying, I'm, I'm resonating with what, what's being said. It's not me, it's this. It is God's word. And he's wanting to say something to us and he's wanting to help us to fight the battle and the struggles that we face. So do we know how to fight? Let me give another suggestion. So just knowing God's word, right? Jump in a city group maybe and just saying, hey, I need somebody to to help. Like I wanna walk through God's word. But second is this, being wise. Genesis 4, 7 says this, God is saying this to Cain. He says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. The apostle Paul earlier said, when I want to do good, sin is right next to me. The evil is right next to me. You have to know that like when you're like walking and and going in the direction that God wants for you, you have to know that there's gonna be some things that are gonna try to hold you back. And it's just being wise and knowing that those things are there. And so let me ask you, are you putting yourself in places that will open the door to sin? Let me be real, guys, are you staying up way too late at night? Because those are the things that are gonna open up the doors to sin. It's like, you have to know that sin is just crouching. And I don't know what it is with guys, but like right around probably 10 o'clock, your mind just starts going haywire, right? You're not thinking clearly. And so what I'm saying is that through God's word, like would we come to him and just say, okay, are we opening the door? Social media follows, right? Like it's all over Instagram, like all this stuff that we're just consuming, going certain places and putting ourselves in in certain places. Like, are we being wise with this? because these could be opening the doors to our flesh and making that inward struggle even stronger. Lastly, last question. Have you trusted God to kill sin in your life? Here's my first encouragement. If you're like, where do I start? Read through Romans seven and then read through Romans eight. Romans eight is amazing. I love Romans eight. Okay, so I encourage all, like read Romans 8 this week and that's how it's, this is really gonna help you know how to fight. But here's the hope. In Romans 8, 13, it says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you know how sin is killed in your life? It's not because... You've got this sword and you're just whoop, whoop, whoop. You know, like, I'm the hero of the story. I am just over here killing all this sin in my life. Look at me. No. It's not a video game or something, you know what I mean? Like, it's not any of those things. Like, it is the spirit of God. And John Owen once said in this book, Sin and Temptation, which it's a crazy, I like highlighted everything. It was it was amazing, but He says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. You're like, how? How do I do it? By handing it over. By handing it over. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, has this illustration. And it's this, it's this person holding on to a red lizard. And this red lizard represents lust in this man's life. And the lizard is just whispering things in his ear. And there's an angel standing in front of him with a huge sword. And this person with the red lizard says, How can I tell you to kill it? He said, you'd, "You'd kill me if you killed this lizard." The angel speaks back to him, it is not so." He says, "Well, why? You're, you're hurting me right now, just being in my presence." He says, "I never said I wouldn't hurt you. I said I wouldn't kill you." Suddenly, the lizard began chattering loudly to this man saying, "Be careful." He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and and you will. And he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. I'll be so good. I admit, I've always gone too far in the past, but I promise I I won't do it again. Isn't that like sin? I promise I won't do it again. Angel says, have I your permission? You're right, it would be better to be dead than to live without this creature. Then I may, ah, go on, take it. This man says, God, help me, God, help me. And the angel slices the lizard, thinks it kills it, And then it becomes this horse and the man gets on the horse and and rides off. And you're like, okay, well, why is that in there? (laughs) Here's why. Because the only thing that your temptation is is a distortion of what God created to be good. And that lust that that man was facing was something that he needed to hand over to God so that God could make it good. And that's the thing that many of us feel. It's, it's like, ah, I can't live without it. I can't live without that fear, that anxiety, or whatever it is. And God's like, would you just hand it over to me and let me kill it? See, the message of Christianity is not a self-help program. It's not steps to a better life. It's not a list of things that we need to do and get to get right with God. Here's what it is. It's good news. It's believing that something's been done for you. And it sounds much like the Apostle Paul when he says, wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. What's the hope that you have when you struggle? Thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you believe that today? Are you grappling with sin? Are you wondering how you will ever change? My encouragement is trust in Jesus, trust in his work for you, trust in his love for you, trust in his grace for you, trust that he'll never give up on you. And when you start to do that, something happens. I'm telling you, Something happens. You start to become a person that you could have never been and you start to say along with the Apostle Paul who said he was a wretched man, I am who I am by the grace of God. I am who I am by the grace of God. Even though I struggled this week, even though I know I'm in a battle with the flesh and it's not something outside of me, it's something inside of me. God is making all things new in my life. And he still loves me despite what I've done. That's good news. And so do you put your hope in Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that even though we struggle mightily at times, so much it just overwhelms us in our hearts. We can come to you, we can be real, we can be honest and say, we need you, Jesus, so I pray if there's anyone here who's struggling on the inside, Lord, that you come and meet them there with your kindness and grace and the the work of Jesus and what he's done. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Gray City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.